0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our friends at Alumni Hall. I know you guys are out there scouring the universe for all the best back-to-back national championship gear. And I'm telling you guys, you're not going to find anywhere with a better selection, with better customer service, with faster shipping than Alumni Hall, especially the shipping thing, guys. So I ordered a bunch of stuff like the night of the national championship game and it got to me. Within two days, all right. So, all of you who are trying to order things from fanatics and places like that, and it says, Oh, yeah, it'll be there in like three weeks. No, Alumni Hall is going to get out to you immediately, and they're going to deliver it with care that is unrivaled. So, make sure to stop by in store today. I'm actually going to make another trip tomorrow inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com. But as you guys all know, I am your host, Tyler, and hey, I have a co-host today who would have thought Charlie the star of the podcast is back with me for the first time since the dogs have become back-to-back national champions Charlie I gotta ask you how does it feel to be a national champion yet again
1: back-to-back it's great
0: so one of the questions I don't know if you listened to the episode you did because you're the I control gal right Yes. So I don't know if you caught, I don't know how closely you were listening, but there was one of the questions that we got last week was, how does this season compare to last season for you? And so I, I shared my thoughts on that, but I also, I'm curious to get your thoughts. I know last year, obviously you were very excited. It was a year, remember, for all of us, but now that like, we've gone back to back, has any of the shine been mm-hmm. taken off, like mm-hmm. actually winning a national title?
1: Um. I mean... Last year was definitely different. That was like going to the mountaintop for the first time. So certainly I think it was more exciting. And also the game was not exciting this year. We were also not playing a team that Kirby Smart has tried to beat three times previously.
0: Yeah, the storyline was not as great. And certainly the game itself, yes. Like it was a totally different feel. So one of my takes, again, I don't know if you were listening that closely, was that I felt like Last season, there was more of urgency and, like, more desperation. So, like, I certainly enjoyed it. Obviously, I enjoyed every second of that. But there was also, like, I I, I was a nervous wreck for most of the season because I was just so desperate to get one. This year, I was a nervous wreck at times, like, in Columbia, Missouri, for sure. But I didn't have that sense of desperation all season long. Are you with me on that? Or are you just kind of just desperate to win the entire time?
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, Georgia's always been one of the better well-known programs in the country, but last year it was like, no, we're here. Stick the flag in the ground. We're not going anywhere. And then somehow Kirby got the team to think that everyone said Georgia was going to go 7-5 and this year, so...
0: Yeah, of all of Kirby's accomplishments, all this, all the things this man has done to get us where we've gotten, that has to be the most remarkable, is
1: that, right? Is that Stockholm Syndrome?
0: Yeah, like where you feel like you've been kidnapped. Like, it's just brainwashing, more or less. I, I mean, it's almost like he's like, I mean, I know he hasn't taken their phones up. I don't know if you're watching, you don't care about college basketball as much as I do. No. But John Calipari, so Tennessee play Kentucky, Yesterday and Kentucky's been on a skid, man. If you haven't been following college basketball, like it's not pretty in Lexington. They are not happy with Calipari. Kentucky, Kentucky goes into Tennessee into Knoxville. Tennessee is number five in the country, one of the best teams out there. Everyone's thinking that Kentucky is just going to get rolled. They lost at home to South Carolina, who's terrible earlier in the week and Kentucky goes in there and they win the game they win that basketball game and Cali Perry's being interviewed after the game and he tells Holly Rose essentially that he took all their phones the night before the game took all their iPads all electronics and like just shut off the rest of the world and it's like okay well it feels like Kirby did something like that and just kind of filled that vacuum with like whatever he wanted them to believe but I know he didn't do that but it's just amazing how he got them to kind of buy into that that certainly is true but regardless it's very nice to have you back charlie you glad to be back on the glory UJ podcast absolutely so i'm gonna go ahead and ask you here because i know last year you um i don't know took a sabbatical for the better part of the off season is that happening again this season do you have some plans to get some much deserved r&r absolutely okay so we can't say that charlie's gonna be on here every week is that is that fair to say charlie I'll do my best. Yeah, we're going to try to get Charlie on here as much as possible, but we had a question last week, I think somebody, I forget who it was, but it was a great question, it's like how do you do all of this, and it's like madness, right? It's a lot of work during the the season, so Charlie's going to be on here with me uh, hopefully a couple times a month at least, that's what we're shooting for, but she's also going to get some time off and kind of live her life and do her thing and just take a deep breath, but we are very glad that you are here today, Charlie, and we're going to make the most of it, but... We do have another batch of listener questions to get to today. And these are the questions that we saved for today because they weren't directly related to the National Championship and are kind of more so, most of them at least, are more so looking towards 2023, the 3P. But before we move in that direction, I I, I would be remiss if I did not take a moment here at the top of the show to express our, I I don't even know how to say it, our, our sincere sorrow at the passing of both offensive lineman Devin Willock and recruiting analyst Chandler LaCroix. It is, I mean, there are no words. I, I don't know what you say. It's, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And I am just so gutted for those families, all of us here at the Glory UJ podcast. I don't like to speak for the people, but Charlie, is it fair to say I speak for you in, in this matter? Yes. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I, again, I don't know what to say. I don't. It's just, it's gutting for those families, all their loved ones, including our players, our players and staff who who knew and loved these people. So, I don't know, man. There's just, there's never right words at moments like this. I'm, at, I'm usually at a loss. I never know what to say. It just like feels everything that you can say is just completely worthless and it doesn't matter. Um, so I know people in these situations usually resort to offering thoughts and prayers. And that's awesome, man. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Because again, like, what, what do you say? But the reality is, there are no thoughts and no prayers that make this better for their loved ones, for anyone. So. Instead, instead of doing that, what I want to do here today, at least for a moment, is just recognize both Devin and Chandler for the wonderful people that they were. I did not have the pleasure to get to know them personally, but all I've ever heard about Devin behind the scenes and what I knew of him is that he's just a great dude who brought a lot of light into this world. And, you know, I didn't know as much about Chandler um, more behind the scenes, but now that this has happened, I'm hearing a lot of the same things about her. So, I just want to take a quick moment here on this show to recognize them. Just recognize them for the outstanding humans that they were and and what they meant to all the people in their lives. And while all too short, I just want to honor them briefly here for the lives that they led. And they will both forever be damn good dogs and they will certainly be missed. So in light of something like that, like we thought long and hard about not even doing a show today. Just, you know, no. Like, why? You know, but this is the only time that we could get, could get together this week. And, you know, we mentioned Charlie's not going to be here as much during the offseason. She'll be here. She'll be around, just not like on necessarily a weekly basis. So while we could get together, we we wanted to try to do that for you guys and answer these questions that, that all of you sent in. But we did feel like it was, it was important, man. It was important to at least in some small way here recognize both Devin and Chandler, But, all right charlie i'm gonna turn things over to you we've got a ton of questions today again most of them look ahead to next season but i think the one that we're gonna start with this is the last question that we got i think we got this like last night maybe this morning sometime in the past 24 hours and this had to do uh more specifically with the celebration and uh some of the things that happened there so what do you got for me
1: all right this first question comes from thomas uh, it says that Stetson's attitude and statements at the celebration were very disappointing in his opinion. What did you make of how he acted?
0: I know that you and I talked about this a little bit off the air, so I know you have some decently strong thoughts on this. I'm going to let you take it off the top here.
1: Well, we know that there have been a lot of people who hated Stetson. I'm not one of them. Um, I did not like that he had ignored the And I didn't watch the whole parade. I did not go. Um, Loser. Yeah, I know. Um However, I did not appreciate how he ignored... I know that he ignored at least one... I think it was Channel 2 reporter as they were riding in the car. He didn't look at her, didn't give her the time of day. Um, I mean, I wouldn't want to do that kind of thing. But also, that's kind of your job. Yeah, you won two national titles technically you're done as a Georgia Bulldog, but you're not because you're in the parade. So if you weren't going to talk, why did you go?
0: Absolutely. Why come? If, if that's, if that's going to be your act that's fine. If that's how you feel, that's fine. But this was something to honor the team. This was for fans and for kids and things like that. And you didn't have to show up, but you did.
1: Well, and the thing is, is like, yeah, people have hated on Stetson Bennett, but I would say for every person who was like ragging on him for two years, Yes, there was someone who was like, oh, my God, Stetson Bennett is amazing. Because yesterday, every person, every reporter I saw that was talking to fans in the parade and whatnot were like, who are you here to see specifically? And they're like, oh, my God, the mailman, Stetson Bennett. And it was just, you know, and then he had his comments or his interview response during the ceremony. Um, that didn't bother me as much. Cause again, Kirby just like convinced these guys that everyone thought they were going to go seven and five, which is a good mentality to have us against the world. But you know, that didn't bother me as much as the parade behavior, I guess, but you know, he's an adult, he can do what he wants.
0: You know, Charlie, I actually agree with you. Cause I was going to ask you the same thing. Like, am I crazy? Like when he, was answering dj shockley's question now did he answer it in the most gracious way of course not like no you usually get softball questions like that and you just you put on a smile and you you say you know you you pull out the talking points right and that's not stetson okay i guess you got to be who you are to some degree but like when he responded to, to shockley i wasn't like as a fan i honestly was not offended at his response like I I really didn't feel like he was talking to me or Georgia fans in general. Did you get that feel? No. Yeah, like I, I thought that he was talking more towards like media types. Like that—that's what I I took away from. It. I know he was like when he said y'all. I, I thought he was talking to Shockley as like in Shockley's role as a as a member of the media in some capacity. I didn't think he was talking to fans. Maybe I read that wrong, and I, I certainly could have. That's just when I initially heard that. That's not how I took it, and I was somewhat taken aback to see the reaction and the outrage on social media after the celebration because I just I didn't take it that way in the moment the people that I was around did not take it that way either so I I don't know that I just felt that it was kind of interesting because I don't think I mean maybe maybe that's what he meant and I I don't really know I don't know I just I know a lot of people took it that way for sure but at the end of the day is, is it fair to say Charlie? it's you know regardless of how you feel about Stetson regardless of how much criticism he's gotten over the years, it, it wasn't a good look, right?
1: I, I don't, I, I yeah, I expected more.
0: Yeah, I, I know, I've seen the word disappointed thrown around. Like, I'm not disappointed in Stetson. Like, he's literally a grown man. Like, he can do whatever he wants to do. I mean, that's within his his prerogative, right? But it's also within my prerogative to have an opinion on, on how he acted, how he kind of composed himself. And I personally was not a huge fan of it. Um, I'm with you, Charlie. I was, again, I wasn't so much upset with with the response to Shockley at the ceremony, I had more of a, I didn't see it at the time, but I you'll know, come back and see some of it afterwards. Uh, I was more upset with exactly what you said, with how he treated that reporter, that Channel 2 reporter, like, like like very, very dismissive, very rude to that woman. Look, I know that he has no love for the media, and I get it, man. Why would you, if you're testament, I almost to a person, the media has just ripped this guy outside of like maybe Aaron Murray. Got to give props to Aaron out there he's just been absolutely ripped to shreds. And he's heard that for three plus years now. Like that, that does something to you. I get that. But that poor woman is not a sports media member, right? Charlie, she's not someone who's going out there ripping stets and like L Duncan had for a year.
1: No, she was just trying to do her job. Exactly. Get, get a soundbite.
0: Exactly. She was, she's given a job, given a task. And, you know, to treat her that way, like, I know it wasn't the worst thing that, he, that you could have possibly done to her, but, like, still, just so dismissive, so rude of uh, the entitlement there, like, I, I, that woman had not done anything to Stetson Bennett, and to treat her that way, I felt that just wasn't, that wasn't a good look, I, I was certainly not a fan of that, but, you know, Stetson feeling the way he did or does about the... If he feels that way about fans, I don't know. I feel like it's more like he takes as him versus the media and maybe some segments of the fan base. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he just hates everybody. Maybe he feels like everybody was out to get him. I don't know. But even if that's the case, I understand where he's coming from. I mean, guys, there are very few people in this fan base. I can't say everyone did this, but I think there's very few in the fan base who did not some point in the last three years call for this guy's job I mean let's go back to 2020 you know he comes in and saves us against Arkansas let's not forget that Dewan Matthews if he had played that entire game we were going to lose to Arkansas and at that point Arkansas was like the embarrassment of the SEC we're about to lose that game at least in the first half and even after that people screaming for JT Daniels in 2020 he was an afterthought after losing the job at the end of 2020 going into 2021 all offseason JT gets hurt Stetson gets back in there people are screaming as soon as Stetson gets in there what's he doing in his very first game in 2021 throws five freaking touchdowns and people are still just screaming for JT to get the job back and then after all that he delivers our first national championship in 41 years then announces oh yeah hey the quarterback who just led you to this thing you've been waiting your entire life for I'm coming back and people are pissed off that he's coming back again not everybody but some people were and you have a, a segment of the popul- a segment of the fan base and most of the people in the media spend the entire offseason saying he just wasn't good enough to lead us to another championship without all those players on defense. Without cele- instead of celebrating him, people are bashing him, looking for any small example of why he's not good enough to be our starting quarterback. I mean, guys, it happened. I mean, I know Twitter is like an echo chamber at times and it's like a carnival funhouse of, of toxicity. It really is. But hey, I, I spent... The vast majority of the off season, getting into arguments with people on Twitter over over Stetson, really. And, like, and you guys know if you follow me on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA, I, I'm not good at Twitter. I don't really like interacting that much with. I, I like interacting with you guys, like you know, just going back and forth, questions, all that kind of thing. I love that, but I, I don't like you know putting stuff out there and starting debates and conflicts because it gets toxic, man. And it's like this is not real life. This stupid. And I I engaged in some of that last off season because I valued Stetson. I love Stetson. He was our dude. And I felt he was being treated unfairly by certain people. And uh, yeah, so it it was a real thing. Like there's, there's no doubt that was a real thing. And like, I've personally never been doubted to that level. So I don't know what that level of hate and criticism and that consistent level of criticism does to someone's psyche, like what kind of scars it leaves, but it certainly leaves something. And here's the thing with Stetson, like he would not have gotten to the point, this is where it's, it's like, you know, it's it's a catch 22. He would not have gotten to the point where he is with, and accomplished all that he accomplished without that, like, I would call it a continent sized chip on his shoulder. But there's also a downside to that. Like, he's gotten so much praise and deservedly so for believing in himself through all of these ups and downs. But to do the things that he's done and to overcome what he had to overcome and to accomplish what he's accomplished. He had to have like an uncommon level of confidence. And I think when you have that level of confidence, it can kind of border on overconfidence and then can bleed over into arrogance at times. And I think that's to some degree what's kind of happened here. And also like Stetson's just pissed. Like he's just angry and like he's going scorched earth on all those people because he can now, right? Like, who cares? I'm done. I don't have to answer the coaching staff anymore. I won back-to-back national titles. I'm a legend forever. But again, I go back to what I you know, my personal view on it. I was not a fan of it. I don't think it was a great look because I'm someone who, for better or worse, and people value different things, but I put a ton of value on on grace and humility. And um, I don't think Stetson showed a lot of that. Sometimes, you know, you know, there's moments where you can put that to the side. I, I felt like I don't know, Charlie, I felt like that was a thing, like this was a moment to honor the team. And do you feel on some level Stetson kind of made made himself the story?
1: Yeah, I think it was kind of disrespectful to his teammates. But, you know, they probably don't agree with that. So, doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, I'm sure they love Stetson. I know they love Stetson. So, I, I just saw, part of me is like, dude, this is about the team. And you're kind of somewhat, a little bit, making this about yourself. And, like, I get it. Like, you're a rock star. You're a legend. But, like, do we need to go there? Here's my last question on this, Charlie. I don't know how many times. I've watched it a couple times now since there's been all this uproar over it. Do you think, watching that clip, do you think that Stetson might or might not have been under the influence of Something on the stage? I don't know. I'm I mean, not gonna
1: speculate on that. Charlie,
0: you remember the the great the Good Morning America interview the day after the after the natty last year, right? Yeah. So let's. It's not like it's unprecedented. Like I just go back and watching it. Like I, I don't know. Maybe that's just Stetson in the moment there in front of all those people. But he was kind of losing his train of thought. I don't want to say he was slurring his words, but he wasn't speaking super clearly. I don't know. I, I'm just. I don't know. I don't know. I just there's it some.
1: This is a celebration.
0: No, I, I'm not saying like, hey, if, if you're, you know, having a drink or something or whatever you're doing, like, hey, dude, like do your thing. Like, you, you've earned this. But also like, maybe like <laughs> don't go on, on television there and, and, and answer all those questions because you might not be at your best. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. That's just total speculation. But it was certainly a thought that kind of that kind of crossed my mind there. But I don't know. Look, Stetson clearly has a lot of bitterness. Um, I don't know. Bitterness can be like an insidious disease. So. I hope that he gets to the point just for, like, you know, hey, he can feel how he wants to feel, but, like, you don't want to live your life like that. I mean, all that bitterness, I know that's kind of helped him get to where he is, but I hope he can get to the point where he can just kind of appreciate the way that he was, not at first, but eventually embraced by most of the fan base. I hope he can get to that point.
1: All right. Our next question comes from Martin. He wants to know after winning back to back national titles, where does Kirby Smart rank on your list of best coaches in college football? Right now? I guess, sure.
0: He's number one. Like, they're, like who who in America right now?
1: Okay, then also after that, then in history.
0: Okay, both. Well, I don't think, like, you can't say he's the greatest of all time right now, because that's more of a resume type thing. And he, he's still early in his tenure, early in his career as head coach. And you can't go there, but in terms of, like, right now... Who is the best coach in America? Like, it's inarguable to me. It's Kirby Smart by 500,000 miles. Like, it's not even close, right? I mean, I know that I'm a Georgia guy, and, and you can call me a homer, and that's fine. Maybe that's fair. Maybe I am. I don't know. I, I like, But I'm trying to be objective here. Like, who can you objectively say right now is a better football coach than Kirby Smart? Like, if you're starting a new program, who are you hiring? Are you, who are you hiring before Kirby Smart? Like, I think you'd be crazy to hire anyone else. I mean, this man's gone back-to-back, back-to-back national titles, first time in a decade. And I, I know, hey, we didn't win, so it, it doesn't count, but, you know, in his second year was an over, overtime miraculous play by Alabama away from winning that national title in year two, which would have been three of the last seven national titles. Didn't win it, hey, you know, and props to Alabama, they got that one. But still, hey, back-to-back, back, can't take away from him. Thirty-three and one guys, thirty-three and one over the last thirty-four games. Won an SEC championship, two national titles in that time frame. And guys, that time frame, thirty-three and one over the last thirty-four games. We're talking about two full calendar years. This man has led a program that has lost one game, one single game in two full calendar years. And on top of that. It's not like he's just like Clemson beating up on nobodies, right? Like at least in the regular season, we have beaten every single program that has either won or played for the college football national and championship in the history of the college football playoff. This dude has beaten all comers, man. He's taken them all down. Nick Saban, absolutely. Lincoln Riley, absolutely. Davo Swinney, absolutely. Jim Harbaugh, absolutely. Ryan Day, absolutely. Absolutely. And here's another reason why I think I would say he's the best coach in college football right now. This is not a one-year wonder. This is not like a Coach O 2019 LSU team where it's just kind of a it's a beautiful coincidence of events. We get all these great players. Joe Burrow transfers in, and you know, you win a national title. That was not a sustainable thing for LSU. Clearly, we saw that turned out. That's not the case here. We have built Kirby has built-I haven't built Kirby has built a sustainable program. You know, he said it after the first national title. And Georgia's not going anywhere because Georgia is built to sustain, and we saw that this year. We're going to see it next year. We're going to see it on and on and on into the future, and it's 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 partly like the the program he's built, like organizationally what he's built. Uh, the culture is unbelievable, as I've gone in depth with many times. But I, I don't something I think he doesn't get enough credit for is development. You know, for a long time, people just kind of dismissed Kirby as this great recruiter, but just, he couldn't develop talent. That is insanity. For anyone to, to suggest that at this point, you are absolutely insane. You have no clue what you're talking about. You can get out of here. You need to stop talking about college football. Like If you say that, if that's what you really believe, stop talking about college football because you are embarrassing yourself. The development within this program is at a level that cannot be touched by any other program in America and you match that with the high level of recruiting, which is never going to fall off under Kirby Smart because the man is driven beyond belief, that is when you have the formula for the greatest coach in college football, for the best coach in college football. And here's what put Kirby over the top for me and why I have him ahead of Saban. Because I know people, the argument would be Saban, right? Well, here's why I think Kirby right now is a better coach than Nick Saban. Because Kirby built this program and has accomplished all of this With Alabama already fully built out, fully operationalized, fully established, fully weaponized, right? Think about when Saban first built Alabama—that Alabama Death Star—back in what he took the job in 2007, right? When he first started to build that thing, back then there was no other Death Star in the country to contend with. There was a power vacuum. USC had fallen off. I know Urban Meyer is there at Florida, but you know it was a shorter tenure there. It wasn't like a dynasty there at that point. It's not my opinion. But Kirby has had to build this program while the existing Alabama Death Star was pointed directly at him, determined to destroy this new upstart program before it could become operational. And what Kirby has done while that Death Star was trying to take him out is build a bigger and better Death Star that is rendering the original obsolete. And yes, Saban, I mean, I'm not going to argue resumes. We cannot. I can't with a straight face. What, seven national titles for Saban? He has a better resume than Kirby Smart. I will not argue that, but I think there is a difference between most accomplished and like greatest of all time and who is currently the best. An example I would give, the analogy I would I would draw here is Michael Jordan. Right? So I'm a child of the 90s. Michael Jordan was a guy I loved watching growing up. Well, think about Michael Jordan on the Wizards, right? When Michael Jordan played for the Wizards late in his career, he was a shell of his former self. But did that mean Michael Jordan still wasn't the greatest player of all time? Like, of course he was still the goat. Of course he was. But when he played for the Wizards, was Michael Jordan the best coat? The best player in the NBA? No, no, he wasn't even close. Now, Saban is not Michael Jordan, the wizard. Saban hasn't fallen that far. Alabama is still a major threat. But it, it, the point I'm trying to make is just because you're the greatest of all time and your resume is better than everyone else's right now doesn't mean you are currently the best. And I think that's what you're seeing with Nick Saban. Nick Saban is still really good. Bama's still really good. They're they're not like falling off the face of the earth. We know this. But best in the country right now? Kirby Smart. is Kirby Smart. And I, I just don't know how you can argue that point right now. I, I think it's inarguable.
1: Okay, well, the next question has to deal with coaching, too. Emil, Emil, excuse me, would like to know how concerned you are about Saban targeting Glenn Schumann for Bama's defensive coordinator, and what are the chances you think we can keep him? I think we keep him. We have plenty of money to pay him more. I don't think he's going to make a lateral move. I think he's going to stick it out until he can get a head coaching job.
0: So he and his wife are both Bama grads. Do you think that factors into the equation at all?
1: I mean, it's always about the money, but I think Kirby will pay to keep him.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't think money will be a problem. I think you're exactly right. I think if it's about money. Oh yeah. Like Kirby will pony up and and we'll, we'll get that done. But the interesting thing here is, you know, it's, it's not all that long ago. Guess what? It's about a decade or so now ago, but Kirby was in this exact same position, both he and his wife, Georgia grads coaching at Alabama. It's funny how this thing works. And Mark Rick offers him the Georgia defense coordinator job at his alma mater. And you think, oh man, this is a dream job, right? Well, you know, after some waffling behind the scenes, there he decides to stick it out with Alabama. A lot of Georgia fans were furious. I mean, some of them, many of them, were so mad that, like, when Kirby got the job originally in 2016 as our head coach, there were a lot of fans are like still bitter about that. Like, no, I don't want this guy. He already turned his back on us once. Like, people were very upset about that. But Kirby saw ahead. He understood that you know Georgia. Not that the not that Mark Rick's not doing a bad job. Georgia's doing a good job. He's doing a good job. Georgia's a good program but at some point that job is going to come open, right? That someone that job is going to come open and I want to be positioned to be able to take that job. I don't want to be one that kind of goes down with the ship. I want to be one that's there to like pick up the ship, right? And rebuild the ship. And I think you can kind of Kirby can speak from experience there when he's talking to Glenn Schumann and like I'm sure Schumann they're going to talk about this of course. You know, that's that's natural, but he can give him that advice. And that's that's up to Glenn to take it or leave it, you know? I mean, he's his own man, he can do what he wants. But he has the example in Kirby. And seeing that Kirby faced the exact same scenario and stayed at Alabama as a DC and look how it worked out for him. So he can tell him, hey, look, man, if you wait, if you wait this out, you can get the right job. Right? And not and again, I'm not saying that Alabama's fall face to earth. They're not. But let's look at the two trajectories of these programs. We are clearly on the ascension still, I would argue. Bama. I don't think they're falling off the face of the Europe, but there's certainly a, a some kinda downward trend a little bit, although that's kind of a stretch because you know when you lose two games where they lost and then you lose national championship last year. But you know they're certainly not trending in the same direction that we are trending over the last two years. Uh, and, and Saban's only you know he's only got so many years left. He'll probably coach until he dies. But he ain't a spring chicken. So Kirby can sit here and say, hey, look, man, like you're gonna have access to the best talent. You have this incredible program that you've helped build. We have this culture. We're gonna be contending year and year out. We can pay you almost whatever you want to get paid. And then when that job comes open, if that's really what you want hey, maybe you can jump in there if you build up enough of a resume to actually get that head coaching job but not the DC job. So I don't know. It's an interesting thing there. I'm with you, Charlie. I don't think that Schumann's going to take it. In fact, what I'm hearing is that the staff is likely going to remain intact. Um, I I, I wouldn't be... Done if he took because again him and his wife are both Alabama grads. He was a he was a graduate assistant there. He was an analyst there. So he knows Saban. There's a relationship there. I mean, I understand all of that. So it wouldn't like completely like rock my world if he left. I wouldn't be stunned. And we you know, we still have Muschamp Champ here, so we're still good in good shape. But hey, Glenn Schumann's a a great coach. He's an awesome recruiter. He's very valuable to our program. You just don't want to lose guys like that. I mean, we're gonna lose him at some point, he's not gonna be here forever. But you know, you want to hold on to those guys as long as you possibly can. And I do think that we're gonna hold on to them. I would be lying if I said there wasn't some level of concern. I mean, I'm of course there's some level of concern because Alabama is also a great program, but I feel pretty good right now based off what I'm hearing that, that we're gonna keep Glenn Schumann at least for 2023.
1: Okay. Our next question comes from Josh. Is this our good friend Josh? Friend of the I podcast? Can't You're all remember. friends of the podcast. Yes, everyone's a friend of the podcast. Everyone's a friend of the podcast. Uh, Josh wants to know what position battles you're looking forward to over the spring. Josh is looking forward to seeing the offensive line and safety.
0: Yeah, those are actually... On my list, I, maybe not as much offensive line because I mean, Broderick Jones is not going to be there at left tackle. We know he's going pro. I think Ernest Green, uh, barring injury, you know, he dealt with a back injury this season, but he's a highly recruited guy out of California who I think is going to be a plug and play guy there at left tackle for us. Amarius Mims is going to be our right tackle. Uh, we'll see what happens with Cedric Van Pran. There's, he hasn't officially declared anything he's, as of right now, uh, at least as far as I'm aware. So there's a chance he comes back there. I think Tate will be back at right guard. Um, we'll see what happens at, at left guard, but I think we're going have most of the people is back, and at least the ones who aren't coming back, I think we have a good idea who is going to fill in those spots. Cornerback um, is one that I'm looking at also. It's definitely safety. We know Malachi Stark's going to be back there, but obviously with Chris Smith leaving, that's a that's a vacancy right there. Dirty Dan Jackson, I, I think he's probably going to be back as far as I know. We'll see. I think he'll be back. Um, he'll factor in there. Janelle Aguero, a big-time true freshman coming in who's already here as an early enrollee. I think he's going to be a factor there as well. Um, David Daniel Sissvinas? Think I'm pronouncing that name right. I don't know, probably butchered that, but he's in the conversation. He's been in here. You know, when, when Dan went down, he was he was our money guy that came in there, so he's got a little bit of experience as well. Tyke Smith, does he factor in this He did some cross-training there. So that's a very interesting position battle for sure. I think cornerback, we know that Kamari Laster is gonna hold down one spot, but the other spot is wide open. I think Dalen Everett's probably the guy that's the leader in the clubhouse right now. He was the first guy off the bench. At that position this year, but we've got a, a bunch of really talented guys. I know Jaheim Singletary just transferred out, but we've recruited a bunch of dudes at that position. we got a, a, another group of guys coming in this year that are really talented as well. Justin Red I've uh, got some dudes like that that come in and, and compete right away. So I think that's going to be an interesting spot there. I'd also throw outside linebacker in there. We know that Robert Beal's moving on. We know that MJ Sherman is now out of the equation. He's transferring, which I didn't think he was initially. It seemed like he was going to come back, but now he's gone. Uh, which I don't fault him for that at all. But you got Chaz Chandless coming back. You got Marvin Jones Jr., who was dealt with some injuries. Darius Smith also dealt with some injuries. None of those guys, either of those guys really saw a ton of playing time. Uh, then you also got three dudes coming in whether it's Gabe Harris. Uh, whether it's Damon Wilson, Samuel and Pimba, three edge rushers coming in, I think that's a really interesting battle. To see who might emerge as that top option there at, at outside linebacker as our edge rusher at the jack position. So those are probably the top ones for me offensively. I mean running back, I mean, I think we kind of know how that's going to shape out, receiver, I feel pretty confident there, I mean, see how the the new guys, the transfers come in, and how they fit, quarterback clearly is the biggest battle, right, I mean, I I guess I should have led with that one, yes, quarterback (laughs) clearly is the biggest one, how is that going to shape up, we know Carson Beck was the, was the number two guy all year, but I certainly do not think that is a foregone conclusion that he's going to win that job, we'll talk a lot more about that, we have a couple episodes coming up in the coming weeks, where we will dive into that, but I mean, he's, probably the leader of the clubhouse based off this year, but I don't think that is a done deal by any stretch of the imagination. I think that's going to be a wide open battle and that would be a lot of fun to watch over the, the next know, couple of months, but no, it's way more than a couple of months.
2: You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
1: All right. Paul wants to know your expectations for Michael Williams and Bear Alexander next year, and he also wants to know if Jalen Walker can transition into being a full-time Jack linebacker next year.
0: Yeah, these are two great questions, Paul. Paul always brings the heat, man. Really good question. So, Michael Williams and Bear, let's talk about them first. My expectation for Michael Williams is for him to be a monster next year. I fully expect that I think he's probably going to be our best pass rusher based off what we saw this year from him as a true freshman we know what we heard about him and his work ethic when you had that kind of work ethic and now you have the year of experience under your belt we saw what he was doing late in the year especially in the college playoff couple of sacks there against big time left tackle especially Paris Johnson so those those kind of games and those kind of moments in those games that is something that can springboard you next year, and we, we saw this from Trayvon Walker. I'm not saying he's Trayvon Walker. I'm not sitting here saying that, but you know Trayvon, you know, kind of came on late in his freshman year and really, really started to come on more so the next couple of years. I think Michael was more polished at this stage in his career than Trayvon was as a freshman, so I think he's ready to kind of explode onto the scene as our best pass rusher next year. Bear Alexander likely will be our most disruptive force on the interior he's not going to be Jalen Carter like he's really really good he's not Jalen Carter though but that doesn't mean he can't be a big time impact player force. I do think that he will be that more uh, disruptive twitchier guy on the interior then will in some way kind of replace what we lost from from uh from Jalen Carter moving on in the Jalen Walker Jack linebacker question that's interesting so this guy was recruited as like a full-on inside linebacker but I do think you know we use him in, in our dime package, right? So we started the season with Xavier and as that guy, but about midway through the year, it was Jalen Walker who took over that position. I was really high on Jalen coming into this season. I didn't know where he would fit. I thought he might fit, find his way into the rotation inside linebacker. I didn't think he would start because we knew who he had coming there with with Smile and Pop, but he didn't. And so I was like, man, okay, maybe I was just wrong on that. But no, like he kept working. And halfway through the year, he takes over that role. That was basically what kind of Channing Tyndall was doing more or less uh, last year for us in our dime package. He's a great pass rusher, great blitzer, can also play in space. I think he could play jack. I think he's undersized to be a full time jack. If he gained weight, that's the thing. He has to like put on a lot of weight. And some guys, you know, they just. I love his frame. Will allow him to put on that kind of weight that he would need to play that position position, still keep the level of athleticism that makes him special? I just I don't know. But it's an interesting question because you know look, we have Pop and Smile coming back. He's not gonna start next year inside linebacker, but he's one of those guys, it's almost like he's too talented to keep off the field. Do you really feel comfortable just using him in dying packages? So he plays what, you know, 10 to 12 snaps a game, maybe? Like I I don't know. I think you want a guy like that on the field as much as possible. So if you could get him on the field. At Jack, which is a position where you know we we had some deficiencies there this year. Once Nolan Smith went down, so if we can if we can spend the offseason getting him ready for that, and we feel comfortable and confident, I'm absolutely like I'd be excited to explore that. I just don't know if his body will fill out that kind of way. But if it does, absolutely can be a pass rusher because we saw him do that in the dying packages. I think he'll be in the rotation inside linebacker next year. We know Tres Marshall is transferring out. Ryan Davis, I don't know if he'll transfer out. He might still be around, but I, I know we have three really good dudes coming in at, at inside linebacker. But we have three studs coming out at the at the edge position as well. So I don't I don't know where he fits best from a depth standpoint because I think we're recruiting really well at both positions now. We've really kind of filled up the coffers there. But I, I would stick towards keeping him an inside linebacker, have him as part of the rotation this year. It's kind of like the chain Tindall of you know like what he was in 2021. And then when Pop and Smile leave after next year, he's a plug and play. He's ready to be that guy. That's kind of how I see it transpiring. But it wouldn't shock me either to see him get some looks at Jack, for sure.
1: All right, we have a few questions left. We don't know who sent this next one in. Oh, did I drop the
0: ball on this? Yes, you did. Okay, my bad. Whoever sent this question, I apologize. Unintentional. I'm just an idiot.
1: Okay. Well, we all know that.
0: Thank you, Char. That was very in other areas.
1: Not is this, is this what you're
0: going to do? You're just going to pop in like once or twice a month just to rip me.
1: Mm, insulting you can be fun.
0: Fair enough. I probably deserve it.
1: All right. So is it a foregone conclusion? One of the quarterbacks will transfer after the spring game. And what percentage chance would you put on Rayola signing with us? Did I say that right? You did. Dylan, I did. Dylan yeah. Rayola. That's I'm actually I impressed.
0: I'm, I, I don't know if, those, if that name had ever come out of your mouth before. So you, well done. Good job. All right. So as to the actual question here, do I think it's a foregone conclusion that one of the three quarterbacks transfers after G day? No, I don't. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. Is it a possibility? Yeah. Is it a likelihood? I don't even know if I would go as far as saying it's a likelihood. I think it's certainly possible. We would be putting our heads in the sand if anything was possible. I I think it depends on really how spring practice goes and whether or not there ends up being a clear separation between like the number one guy and the other two or the top two guys and like the number three guy. Is there a clear separation there? Because if there's that clear separation, then I think the likelihood of one of the three transferring certainly intensifies. Although here's the caveat I would throw in there. With Gunnar Stockton being as young as he is, so he's going into year two, he'll be a rest fresh next year. If he is the odd man out, like let's say he's number three and he's the one that's a little bit behind the other two, I don't think that he would transfer because there's more, there's enough class separation there where, let's say Carson Beck wins the job and Carson Beck has a really good year, he goes pro and Gunnar Stockton's sitting right there. And there's enough class separation for him to have a, have a year or two to be the guy, right? So I think he would be more likely to stay if he's the one that's kind of a little back in competition. The two that I believe would be more likely to transfer if they feel like there's a scenario where they've fallen behind the battle would be Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift. Carson, obviously, Carson's going into year four right now. It's now or never for him. So if he does not win this job, and if, if he feels like after G-Day that it's just not trending in the right direction for him, it's not going to go his way, then he'll probably transfer. Same thing with Brock. I mean, Brock is not, you know, there's a year between him and Carson, but, you know, he's getting pretty advanced in terms of quarterbacks, you know, like in this day and age, you know, quarterbacks won't be three years now. So Brock's going into year three. So if he feels like he going to year three, that I'm not going to win this job, he's probably going to transfer I just don't think it's a foregone conclusion and a lot of it also depends on how Kirby and Munken and the offensive staff how they how they handle it in the spring do you get close to declaring a, a starter like naming a starter or do you give all these guys equal reps so that they all feel like they have a shot going into going to fall camp so you keep them all around like in some ways that's kind of like man is that the is that the right way to do do these guys like do you want to do them that way like where you know two of them are going to win the job. Don't you wanna let them know like ahead of time? Like, you know, like Baylor, for instance, they went ahead, you know, this last offseason, they told Gary Bohan, who was a starter in 2021, hey dude, you're not gonna win the jobs. And that gave him a chance to go out and find a landing spot and he heads to South Florida. So the, I think that's that's a really like great way to handle it and, and make sure these guys end up doing what's best for them. But also like you gotta think about what's best for the program. And what's best for the program is having all these guys here in fall camp. But I don't know, again, I go back to like does someone separate themselves during spring practice and like the lead to spring practice? And I don't think Kirby will hold them hostage. Do you think he will, Charlie? Do you think Kirby's the kind of guy that will like not tell those guys exactly where they stand just so they'll all be on the roster come fall camp?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: I don't think he'll do that. I really don't. I, I, maybe he will. I don't know. But I just I don't think that's going to happen. I think like, he'll be honest with them. And if one of them is standing out and there's clear separation, I think he'll probably be honest with them let them know that so they can make the best decision for themselves. And then as for the second part of that question, Dylan Rayola, and if you guys, we've talked about him a couple times on this podcast, I believe, but if you aren't familiar with Dylan Rayola, he's the number one quarterback in the country for the 2024 recruiting class or this next recruiting class. Not only is he the number one quarterback, he's the number one player overall. He's one of the most highly rated players there's been. Um, Arch Manning was the highest rated player in 247 composite history in this cycle. Dylan Rayola, his high school tape is light years better than Arch Manning. We'll see how it takes place on the, how it transpires on the field. But in terms of prospect, I give me Dylan Rayola all day long. was committed to Ohio State, decommitted from Ohio State about a month or so ago, went to the national championship game on his own dime. Now he's from the West Coast. I think he's an Arizona kid, if I remember correctly. Um, he, we were heavily involved with him before he committed to Ohio State. Things kind of cooled down. He commits to Ohio State. And um, he's back in the mix, man. We are back in the mix. In fact, from what I understand, look, I don't talk to these kids, but what I, you know, reading between the lines and, and reading recruiting reports and talking to some people that I know, I feel very confident about our chances. I know Nebraska is a program that people have mentioned in connection with him, because his dad played there, and obviously Matt Rule is trying to build a new program. And there's certainly a a factor; you you can't dismiss them at all there. But like Nebraska over Georgia, dude, like you must have a lot of like family love for Nebraska, if that's the case. If that's the case, cool, good for you, man. But I think I feel really good. I feel really good about it. In fact, like in the next couple of months, it would not shock me here if Dylan Rayola pulls the trigger and commits to the G. So percentage chance. 75% man that, that, that's my level of confidence and I could be totally wrong there but that's that's where I am right now when it comes to Dylan Rayola
1: alright the next question comes from UGA Lee Dogs wants to know looking at next year's incoming class who are you most excited to see get on the field in game one um, for UGA lead dogs, that is Jordan Hall. Says that he's going to be a problem for opposing offenses.
0: Yeah, dude. Jordan Hall is a man beast, dude. I mean, I don't know if any of you guys are paying attention. Obviously, he's won the national championship, and that's where all of our attention is. But if you're paying attention to some of these, these All-American games, like he had a hell of a week in practice leading up to the game. And then the game, Charlie, I don't know if you saw this. You're probably not going to like this. but So he gets a sack in the game. I think it was a sack. And then he reaches down into a sock pulls out a wad of cash and just makes it rain on the player that he tackled.
1: I mean, funny, but probably a little uncalled for. And the referees
0: like, "What are you doing?" And the referees, the referees like, pick up the money and he goes, and you can hear him because it's it's mic'd out there. And He goes, "You can keep the change, like you can keep the tip." And it was like, "Dude, I love this. Like, I know. Like, if that was a if that was a, a player on a rival, I would hate him with a deep abiding passion. But it's like, it's just fun. Like, that's an all-star game. Now we do it in a real game. If he did that in a real game, I would lose my my junk. like, you can't be doing that in real games. But like, an all-star game, like, that's funny, man. I I, I got a kick out of that. But he is a monster." on the field like he is a bad dude he's big strong physical twitchy athletic like I I don't I hate to call him Jalen Carter I'm not gonna do that I'm not gonna do it but like if you're looking for a big strong athletic twitchy interior defensive lineman that can make an impact as a true freshman Jordan Hall is that dude I mean now I, I will always say I, t- I usually temper my expectations when you're talking about freshmen in the trenches, whether it's offensive line or defensive line because it's a man's world there and most of these guys, as dominant as they are at the high school level, they ain't they aren't men yet. Jordan Hall is kind of a man. Like, he is a man beast. He's a little different. So, with the absence of of Jalen Carter, I know we, we feel good about Bear Alexander and uh, Nas is great at nose guard. Uh, Jordan Hall might factor into it, man. Like, he he might get some serious PT for next year. That guy is he's going to be awesome. Very, very excited about him. I'm also really excited, you know, I'm not going to take Jordan Hall because you picked that one, Lee Dog. so I'll give you that one, but I'm excited to see if one of the three edge players that, that we got that are all really highly recruited, I'm, I'm high on all these guys, I'm excited to see if one of them can stand out and, and become an impact player for us in year one, whether it's Gabe Harris, Damon Wilson, Samuel Pimba, it could be any of the three. I think Wilson's probably the most polished at this point but I think they all have the upside to be that guy, so I'll be very curious to see what they're able to do, and offensively, what about Roger Robinson? I know that Kendall Milton's coming back, Dejan Edwards coming back, Kenny's going to be gone, Uh, we've got Branson Robinson, who who had some really good moments this year, Um, Andrew Paul will be coming back from the ACL injury, but Roger Robinson's a dude, man, running back from California, that dude is freaking huge, like, i he's listed like 230, man, you look at that guy run, that guy's like 240, 250, man, but he hit like 22 miles an hour on the GPS, this guy can flat move, he's a monster, so I don't know, like that guy, I know we have some really good running backs, but like it's hard to think that he might not get some carry some way somehow next year, but I guess you would have said the same thing about Branson Robinson this year, and then it wasn't as much of a factor really outside of the Auburn game, but I'm excited to see what Roger Robinson's able to do. I think that guy. He's just a different kind of dude, and uh, we haven't had a guy that big and that fast before. I mean, he's he's just different.
1: All right, two questions left. Jason wants to know if any of the losses to the transfer portal were you. I would say we're pretty deep, we're good to go.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would say, like, did you see our second team, Charlie, um, beat up on TCU?
1: Yeah, they just. Kept pummeling them.
0: Yeah, so I mean, look, I when you get five stars and you get all excited about landing them and they leave, like that's that sucks. You like to keep all of them. The thing is, like we got to make room, guys. Like we have a hell of a recruiting class coming in. We need like ten guys to leave the program to make room for all these guys. And things always work themselves out. Numbers always work themselves out. But do any of the losses to the transfer portal worry you? Um, no, not a single one. I'll keep this one short, guys. Like, no, I'm not worried about any of those guys. I wish them all the best. This is not sour grapes. But, I mean, who do we lose that's an impact player that we were counting on? I mean, the closest would have been Jaheim Singletary. He was a five-star, one of the most highly rated um, quarterbacks coming out of last year's class. But, you know, Kirby has these retention meetings. He literally calls them retention meetings after the season. And he's very brutally honest with these guys. Like, here's where you stand. Here's what you gotta do to improve. Here's how you can, like, move up the the depth chart. And the thing with with Singletary is that he can't keep weight on. Like, he's got, he's so thin, guys. Like, he was so thin coming out of high school. That's fine. A lot of those guys are at the skill positions. I thought he could gain weight, but he's having a lot of trouble apparently gaining weight and that's just that can be a problem for some people and so i i think you know you look at our our depth chart and it's like okay well we know that kamari laster is going to have one cornerback spot dan everett i mean again he's like the leader of the clubhouse pretty clearly and someone just like wows the staff at the other cornerback spot and so he's like well where am i going to fit in when am i going to play you know i'm a five-star guy i want to go play somewhere right like i, I got all this talent i don't just want to sit here on the bench i got my national championship so um no hard feelings there i think all the coaches coaches feel the same way like they they understand and it's fine we we have a lot of real really talented players who recruited that position. We've recruited the cornerback the position as well as anyone in the country. We have a bunch of big time guys coming this year. So he'd be the closest one I'd be worried about losing. But I mean, we've got so much depth there and I mean, again, all the other guys like who were we losing that have been impact players for us. That really hurts. And like, again, we got to, we got to, we got to make room. We've got all these players coming in and uh we got to make room some way somehow. So it's inevitable that some of these guys are going to leave.
1: All right. Our final question for today has Keith looking really far ahead uh 51 weeks he wants to know who georgia will play next year for the national championship in houston
0: oh charlie what say you
1: i haven't thought that far ahead
0: i know i really haven't like i have not dove in like into this yet but okay just because i haven't like dove into the 2023 yeah i've been trying to live this up as much as i can we're getting there really quickly though guys i'll I'll move there really really fast but that doesn't mean i haven't thought about it it doesn't mean I, i i mean you guys know i watch a ton of football so i got some thoughts on it look if if C.J. Stroud returns, have you seen this chart? There are all these rumors that C.J. Stroud might come back this year.
1: I mean, he could probably still make a ton of money on NIL, so why not?
0: Yeah, that's the thing. NIL. It, that's one. of the, like, I know people hate NIL, but that's one of the, the benefits. If you if you're the program, like like Ohio State, you could potentially get a big time quarterback like C.J. Stroud back. But if he returns, which I don't know. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting that he hasn't declared yet. I guess he has a little bit of time, but it's interesting. But if he does return, Ohio State would be you know, the number one contender for me, you know, obviously they played us a hell of a game this year, and uh, we, now, I think next year, I've told you, we'll be more talented, and we don't have Stetson, we have a new quarterback, which is, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, and maybe we'll get better quarterback play, but, probably not. You know, not that's certainly not the likeliest outcome there, but Ohio State will be really good. They're losing some players too, but you get Harrison Jr. coming back, you get some of those dudes coming back at, at receiver. Uh they and they have a bunch of like Brandon Ennis coming in, who's one of the best rec- receivers coming in to uh to the college level next year. So they are really talented and the Big 10 just kind of sucks. <laughs> it's just not that good. So they're probably going to go through the Big 10 again. And uh, Michigan will see, I mean Michigan will be good again. Um maybe they lose to Michigan. I don't know. But if they can get past Michigan, if they can get over the hump, which how weird is that to say? Because it was forever the other way around. But I, I think Ohio State is certainly number one contender for me. I'd also say this, and I, I feel weird saying this because I was uh, calling for their downfall earlier. I think most people were. Watch out for Clemson. Watch out for Clemson, guys. I think they've finally gotten Corbett figured out. Now, I, see, I need to see a lot more from Cade Klubnik, but I, I can say this for him. He's better than DJ Uyunglele. Like, and I'm not saying DJ is is a bad quarterback. I mean, he was not he was not productive the last two years for them. The, those are just the facts. I think the toxicity in the fan base and the criticism just it, he had to go. He had to leave, and it just it I think that really really messed with him. But that whole situation is gone. You've got a quarterback who the fans are really excited about. Now they were excited about DJ once upon a time too, but they're really excited about this guy. He had, he has some flashes late in the season, obviously the Orange Bowl was not a good look for them, but here's maybe even bigger than that, Garrett Riley coming in as the offensive coordinator coming from TCU to Clemson, which is very interesting, because one of the things I felt that was hurting Clemson, is not just DJ's play, their, their offensive scheme, I felt it had gotten stale, predictable, and I didn't like what they were doing on offense at all. And I was shocked to see Dabo get rid of Brandon Streeter, who was an alumnus there. And Because one of the things that Dabo built that program on was was cohesiveness in the coaching staff. And to see him make that move like that, like I was borderline stunned by that. And Garrett Riley is a good hire for them. Yes, they're losing some guys on Demons, losing Miles Murphy, losing Brian Percy, of course. But they still got some guys. And they're losing Trenton Simpson. But you have Tyler Davis and... Aroa, I think that's how you say his name on the defensive line. Those dudes can play, all right. And Brzey didn't play a ton this year. I mean, he dealt with you know he had his own health issues. His sister tragically passed away. Those other guys are big time players. Barrett Carter from North Gwinnett, big time inside linebacker. Nate Wiggins really came on. He had a horrible game against Wake Forest where they just torched him. They should have lost that game, but he got better and better as the season went on. To towards the end of the year, he might have been one of the better. Corners in the entire ACC, they've got some dudes on defense, and the reality is, this is what Clemson made a living off of for a long time. You know, with their run they made. The ACC is just garbage. I mean, Florida State will be better next year. I don't know if they'll be. I, they they are the hype team, right? And I, I'm not going to include Florida State on this list because I think they're going to be awesome on offense. They have issues on defense, and I don't know if they're going to those solved in one year. They're going to. They they are going to be the off season hype train. That that's who that's who that team's going to be this year, but. They have to go to Clemson, and if they can beat FSU, because FSU has not been able to beat Clemson, man. So if 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 Clemson can beat FSU again at home, they have a really good chance going undefeated. Yeah, they they play Notre Dame, but that's at Clemson. Uh, they have to go to Miami, but I'll, I'll buy into Miami like when I see it. Um, they play South Carolina on the road. I know they lost to South Carolina this year, but I think that was. Very circumstantial. I, I still think it's clearly the better program. They clearly have more talent. So I think Clemson. They're not. I don't know where they're going to be ranked. The preseason probably somewhere in the top ten, the the fringe top ten. But that would be a team I think watch out for. I think that they might have a chance to make something happen inside the ACC again this year. But all right, Charlie, is that it?
1: That's it for this week or today.
0: All right, and I guess we'll see you when we see you.
1: Yeah, and check out the national championship back to back gear at Alumni Hall. I got my favorite sweatshirt. Again from last year, but now it says back to back. The updated version, yes, it's and it's fabulous.
0: Uh, well, okay, I know you'll, you're gonna be on your own different timeline. Are you at least gonna come back for? We had to do our um our retroactive look at our pieces and predictions, and like hold ourselves accountable. Tell me you're gonna be here for that.
1: Yeah, give me a schedule.
0: Okay, we'll probably do that next week. So we'll have that for you guys. A lot of other great content for you. I know, I know, it's the off season, and God, that hurts me to say, but hey, at least we're going to do it with another national championship and. You guys know that we don't go anywhere. We're going to have content for you guys all off-season long. So if you are new to the show, keep on coming back week after week. We're going to keep churning out the content. We're going to have a bunch of football stuff for you. Hey, don't look now. Georgia basketball won another one, baby. It wasn't pretty, but we won another one on the road. We're now 3-1 in conference, what, 13-4 and four overall. So we'll have some Georgia basketball talk. So a lot of great stuff coming your way over the next couple of months. But thank you for being here, guys. Appreciate each and every one of you. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always... Go Dawgs.